The following message is by Pastor Andrew Beto, pastor of First Baptist Church of Orchard, Texas. More information on First Baptist Church Orchard can be found at fbcorchard.com. Dear Jesus, Lord, I, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together and worship you. Lord, I ask that you would be with me this morning, that you would enable me to bring your word to your people, that we would be able to do the things that you have called us to do. So God, I ask that you would be in my speaking and that you would be in the hearing of the people so that our actions would rest on your truth and not on human wisdom. And Lord, I ask these things in your holy name. Amen. We have come again to the beginning of a new year. And so, um, it, it's interesting. Uh, whenever, whenever I talk about doing things like an Advent candle, uh, or we talk about doing Lent before Easter, and we start talking about some of the seasons in the church, People invariably talk to me and say things like, well, you know, I don't, I don't, wanna, I don't see why we need to do that because all days are special or, uh, you know, why do we need to have a calendar? But when the reality is that our lives are dictated by rhythms, right? And, and the rhythms are either going to be dictated by uh, the Bible and by church history and church culture or they're going to be dictated by the culture that we live in. And so you're going to have a calendar. You're going to have certain cultural things that come about every year. And so as invariably as school starting makes people think about, uh, about new fresh starts, the new year is going to be accompanied by this desire that we have to, to start off fresh. This year, right? And so we, we start talking about, you know, we're going to come up with some New Year's resolutions, right? Like, I, I want my pants to fit this year, right? Like, that's a resolution. I, I want to live to see my daughter get married. That's another resolution I have, right? So I've got to get my cholesterol down. Maybe take that blood pressure medication that some of you guys are supposed to be taking. You just, whatever, okay? Um, we, we, the New Year comes around. All of the, all of the, the Christmas and holiday uh, uh, shenanigans and, and stress is kind of late, and we, and we have kind of this 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 anticlimax, this denouement. As we come off of the holidays, and we're like, okay, now I've got to go back to work on Monday, and uh, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to start off fresh, right? And so, in in our culture, if you look at all of the all of the magazines that you're going to see in the in the in the the racks at the grocery store, they're all going to have something like. You know, uh, start your year off right. You know, you go to a gym. This is the, the number one time of year for gyms. This is where they make most of their money because this is where they get you to come in there. You're going to pay your $200 whatever exorbitant fee down. You're going to go in there for about three days, and then you're never going to come back, and you're going to be too much of a chicken to cancel your membership. This is how these people eat, okay? <laughs> they don't have a facility big enough for all the people that are coming there because most of the people don't actually go. You know, and, and statistically, as we look at this, most of the uh, of the um, uh, most of the resolutions that we make are going to be 
we're going to be, uh, we, we will have broken them two to three weeks into the new year. Right? We're like, oh, I'm going to totally change my life around. I'm going to lose 50 pounds and I'm going to stop watching all TV. And then, and then before you know it, like you, you eat leftovers that are in the refrigerator and the, the Christmas cookies that you haven't thrown away yet find you and you're sitting eating them in front of the TV. And you're like, well, I guess uh, it's back to normal for the rest of the year. And the next year and the next year. Right? And so we, we come into this situation and we have everybody's telling us what we're supposed to be doing. Oh, you need to do this. You need to be a vegan. You need to do all these different things to change your life. And, and it's instructive at a time like this for us to recenter on that which is the defining statement of who we should be. We come back to the authority of Scripture to be informative in our life. Now, authority is something that we don't like. As Americans, we don't like authority. We're very anti-authoritarian. We're very individualistic. We like to do things our own way in our own time, and we don't like to be told what to do. In fact, I, I'm especially like this. I'm the kind of guy growing up where if you would tell me to do something, I, I, would, I would do the opposite because you told me to do it. Okay? I would rebel. I raged against authority. That's why I went in the Marine Corps, right? Because I'm also a glutton for punishment. So I got beat a lot. Um, but this isn't just an American thing. This is a human thing. There is something about us that rages against authority, that, that wants to wrestle control of our lives away from that which has power over us. And so this morning, it is very apropos that we would dive back into Matthew at the beginning of what is his last discourse, his last extended period of teaching, and he's going to be dealing with the question of authority. As the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the temple leaders question him. And so if you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 23, and when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him. As he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Now, I want to I kind of set the stage here because it's been a while since we've been in Matthew last. Okay, So it's important for us to understand kind of where we are in this last week of Jesus' life. For the, the remainder of the time that we have until Easter, we're going to be spending in this last three days. So we're going to take... We're going to take 15 weeks to cover three days. Okay, it's going to be amazing. You're going to love it. it don't, don't worry about it. Okay, but this last period in Jesus' life, this is Wednesday, right? So he's come in on Palm Sunday. It was great. Everybody liked him. He rode in on the donkey. It was great. Um, he gets up in the morning, um, uh, and he, he goes into the temple court. Um, he goes into the temple court, and he upends all of the tables, Right? He drives all of the tax collectors, all of the, all of the, the money changers. All of these people are being dri- been driven out of the temple. Right? He drives them all out of the temple. He goes home, goes to sleep. <laughs> and he comes back. He curses the fig tree. Now he's back in the temple. And, and, and you can just imagine him... All these upturned tables are still there. There's this detritus of 
Jesus' judgment is around him, and he's standing there in the midst of all this chaos, and the priests come up to him, the, 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 the members of the temple court, all, basically all of the leaders in Jewish society, people who didn't like each other, right? So you have, you have the, the, the people that run the temple, you've got the Sadducees, which are kind of like the religious liberals of the time, the Pharisees, which are the extreme religious conservatives of the time, all of them are together. Right, it'd be like having a Unitarian Universalist, like lady pastor with with like Pat Robertson, and they're like there together, hanging out, and they're asking Jesus some questions, and they're asking him, "By what authority are you doing this? Like, who do you think you are? Where does this authority come from? Where you get to come into the temple, upend everything, and then begin to teach? Like, where does this come from?" And so. Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, I will answer your question. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why did you not believe him? And if we say from man, we are afraid that the crowd, that they will, because they held that John was a prophet. And so they answered Jesus, we don't know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. The question of authority is very important to the Jewish leaders because the Jewish religion was very centralized and hierarchical. And for good reason. God set it up that way. Right? Sometimes when we look at, 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 the, at the, the way that things are here, we can look at Jewish religion and we can be like, oh, why would they do it that way? Well, it it's hierarchical because God had established a centralized hierarchy of how things would be done in a very specific way in the worship of God in his temple. And he had chosen one particular clan of the Jews, the, Aaron, uh, the, the descendants of the brother Aaron, right? And, and, and he, or sorry, the, the descendant of Moses' brother Aaron, and they're going to become the priests in Israel. Okay, these are the men that are going to tend the temple. These are the men that are going to uh, do all the sacrifices. They will live off the gifts of everybody around them, and they will be the ones who keep the fires burning for God. Now, by the time that Jesus is talking to them, this had become very, very rarefied and very, very uh, formalized. These men... Uh, would go through years and years of training to become a teacher of the law. And, and in fact, one of the reasons that we have such a meticulously copied, accurate translation of the Old Testament is because these men spent their lives hand-copying the Old Testament prophetic letters and the Old Testament Torah. And, and so they were able to bring this into this, this era of Christianity without any errors. And these men dedicated their lives to the study of God's word, right? They dedicated their lives to, to serving God in his temple. And so for them, it was very important by what authority you claim to be a teacher. If you were going to be a rabbi in, in first century Israel, you went through a process. You had to be ordained by by the Sanhedrin they would bring you in they would interview you after having gone through years and years of schooling you you would study under a 
under a, under a teacher like Gamaliel. And, and, and you would learn everything you could from him. And when you were finally ready, they would bring you before the Sanhedrin and they would, they would question you and they would ask you about God's word so that they knew that you were actually accredited as a teacher. And once you got, once you got the stamp of approval, then you could go out and you could be a teacher. But here's Jesus. He's a hayseed from the northern part of nowhere. He's from nowhere Israel. And he comes in and he has the audacity to flip over tables and upend everything in the temple. More importantly, though, he has also been going around healing people, raising the dead, calming storms, teaching people, changing their interpretation of the law. And, and, and so Jesus is coming into a community that is already incredibly unhappy about the state of their country. Right? If you think that America is divided right now, if you think America has like some issues where we're angry about stuff, you have no idea what division looks like. These people have been suffering revolt after revolt, and every time they revolt against the Roman government, the Roman government comes and cracks down harder. When Jesus was born, there was a revolt. <laughs> And 6,000 people were crucified, right? 6,000 people were tortured to death because of the rebellion that occurred when Jesus was born. And, and, and this, this undercurrent of anger is still seething in the population. And now Jesus comes in talking about a new kingship, talking about a, a, a new kingdom that's going to come in, about changes that need to be made, about how the, about how the temple is going to be torn down and rebuilt. Better bet these guys have questions about who this guy thinks he is. And so they put him to the test. And where does your authority come from? But, but they, don't, they don't realize who they're talking to. And so very quickly, Jesus disabuses them of the idea that they are in any way in control of the situation. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody? Like, and by kind of, let's be real here. Have you ever had a fight with your spouse? Okay, and before you really know what's happening, and this happens to men a lot. Like we'll have this, we'll be having a conversation. We're we're being very calm, very very like reasonable, and we're getting yelled at for no reason. I mean that's the way we generally feel. <laughs> and, and you're like, but no, and you're having this conversation about why it was that you put the toilet paper on the toilet paper roll the way that you did, and and you're being told that that makes you a bad person. And very quickly you realize this has absolutely nothing to do about the toilet paper roll, and everything to do with the fact that you went hunting on your anniversary. Right? But she's not saying that. You're like, oh, oh, we're talking about that. It has nothing to do with this. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the temple leaders are questioning Jesus about, about his authority, about who ordained him, about where this came from. And Jesus is like, no, that's not what's happening here. You're not getting to question me. In fact, I'm going to question you some. So here, let me put you to the question. And so Jesus does what he does so well. He answers a question with a question. And it's a question that gets down into their heart, really, and really turns that mirror on them so they get to see who they are. And he asks them, well, let, let me ask you, the, the ministry of John the Baptist, was that of God or was that of man? Oh, and that's, that's a place they don't want to go. That's a, that's a place that they thought that they had taken care of. They thought that that was something, a bullet they had dodged. John the Baptist came in three years before this. He was baptizing people. People were coming out. People were, were looking at him like he was a prophet. And he was saying some really inflammatory things about the Jewish leadership. 
So if they acknowledge that, G, that, that John the Baptist was from God, they've got to accept the teachings that John the Baptist brought. Things like, uh, you know, all of the Jewish uh, religious leaders were a brood of vipers. They've got to accept that. They've got to accept the fact that all of Israel is in sin and needs to go down and repent and be baptized. They have to, they have to accept that. They have to accept the fact that, that, that the axe is at the root of the unfruitful tree, and it's about to get thrown into the fire. They have to accept that, and, and almost most unpalatably, they have to accept the fact that God can raise up from the very stones children of Abraham to replace them. They have to accept the, under, the understanding that they're not irreplaceable, that they are not critical to God's plan. That they are not somehow the linchpin in all of creation that God is forced to deal with. And if they accept the ministry of John, they must accept the ministry, they must accept the message that John came to bring about Jesus. That Jesus is the Lamb of God who dies for his people. But on the other hand, if they say that he wasn't from God, they're liable to get lynched by all the people who think that he's a prophet. And so they take the coward's way out. They take the path of equivocation. They say, well, we don't know. I, I, I don't know, Jesus. I'm not really sure. Now, as an answer, as a theological answer, I don't know is not always a bad answer. There's many questions that you can come and ask me. And I'll say, you know what? Man, I don't know. I don't know about baptism for the dead. I don't know what that means. Right? We'll talk about it. We'll get in there. We'll wrestle with it. I don't know who the Nephilim were. I mean, I got some ideas, but I don't really know. If, the I, if I don't know comes from a humble person that is in the process of seeking truth, it can be a legitimate sign of humility. But so often, I don't know, comes from somebody who doesn't want to tell you what they really think. I was having a conversation um, the la in the last couple of days, some friends of mine that go to another church, and they're wrestling with the issue of uh, whether or not they're going to become an affirming church, whether or not they're going to affirm the legitimacy of homosexuality in their church. And, and the response that I got as I'm pushing them on some of these theological issues is, well, I, you know, I just don't know. And I'm like, do you not know or do you not want to tell me what you think? Do you not know or do you not want the consequences that are going to come from acting on what you really believe? But you see, often we'll say, I don't know until we have gotten 51% and then we'll come out and say what we believe. I, I went through that in a different church. And it was an incredibly painful process. I was told, I don't know. We're not really sure. We're just open into the Lord's leading. We're going to see what's going to happen. When in the reality, they knew exactly what they believed about this issue. And they were waiting until they could turn enough people. And then they were going to tell everybody what they believed. Now, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the temple leaders know exactly what they believe about Jesus. They've said it multiple times. They think Jesus is a demon. They said, you cast out demons from the prince of demons. You are the spawn of the devil. But they can't say this here. 
They can't say what they really think about Jesus, about where his authority comes from, because the people are on the side of Jesus. And if one thing is true about the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the temple party, it is that while they do not fear God, they are desperately afraid of the people. See, the authority that they recognize is not from God. The authority that they recognize is from their own position, their popularity, and their power. Brothers and sisters, the authority of God transcends public opinion. The authority of God comes from God. And if we do not accept the authority of God, you can't receive the good news. I'm going to say that again. If you, don't if you do not accept the authority of God and the authority of Christ, you cannot receive the good news. You can't receive it partially. You can't receive it on your own terms. You can't say, well, I just want to, I want to have, you know, a little bit of this. I want to get the touchy-feely part that I really like, and I, and I don't want to accept the, 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 the bad, like, substitutionary, mad God who's going to punish people for their sins part. I don't, I don't want that. You can't pick and choose. The Jews wanted to accept the, the Messiah king riding in glory to crush the Romans. That's the image that they wanted to receive. They wanted to receive this image of God redeeming his people. They wanted that. They did not want the suffering servant. They did not want this other inclusion of other nations into Israel. And so they chose which aspects of God's message that they were going to accept. Because they didn't fully submit themselves to the authority of God. And so as they're asking Jesus, what, what authority do you have? Who gave you this authority? Jesus is turning this back around on them and saying, you don't recognize legitimate authority. So what does it matter? And to prove this to them, he's going to tell two parables. He's going to actually say three parables. We're going to deal with two today and one next Sunday. He's going to use parables, these stories, to describe how Israel has interacted with authority in the past, right? And so the first parable he's going to tell comes on verse 28. He says, what do you think, right? This is, this is a parable, right? He's going to tell a story that's got a message. And he's going to say, what do you think? A man has two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. You ever had a kid that, that tell you that? Say, hey, I need you to go take the garbage out. He's like, no. No. What's that like? I mean, that, ha that happens to some of you guys. No, I'm not going to do it. They go through that, that phase where they're oppositionally defined. They're like, throw their little chest out. They're like, no, I ain't going to do it. Make me do it. Like, oh, I'll make you do it. But afterwards, he changed his mind and went. Right? So you're like, really? There's going to be some consequences and repercussions. He's like, okay, I'll, I'll take the trash out. Daddy. I didn't mean it. Right? And he went to the other son and said, uh, and, and said the same, and he answered, I go, sir, but he didn't go, right? Have you ever had that kid? The one where you're like, hey, I need you to take the trash out. Okay, daddy. And next thing you know, he's like sitting naked in the room reading a book about Star Wars. You're like, what are you, how did you, how did we get here? Like, I told you to go take the trash out, and now you're sitting naked in the middle of your floor. Like, how did that, what process did you go through to get to this place here? Okay. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said the first. 
And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe in him. The conclusion is that those who hear and obey do the will of God. You don't do the will of God verbally. Right? You don't do the will of God by assenting to things, by speaking wonderful and beautiful things about God. You don't speak, you don't do the will of God verbally. You do the will of God through actions, by changing the things that you're doing to fulfill that which God has told you to do. See, Israel has become at this point very good about talking about the will of God, about their identity as children of God. But they have become terrible about actually doing the will of God. And so Jesus is going to come across to them and say, you who think that you are so religious, here's, here's the secret. The whores and the and the tax collectors, the people that are traitors to your nation, they get to go into the kingdom of heaven before you. Because even though they look like they are bad people who have made bad choices and have rejected God, in the end, when it came time, they were able to turn and repent and find God. And you still think you're doing the right thing. right? Jesus would call these same men sepulchers, whitewashed tombs, Right? People that look great on the outside, but inside they're filled with decay and corruption. Because there was no substance to their faith. Their faith was all mouth and no action. Uh, they, they were what, what a friend of mine in when I was in the Marine Corps would call a hummigator, right? It's got an alligator mouth and a hummingbird backside, right? There's no there's no oomph to it. It's all it's all show with no substance, right? They saw and understood the need for a savior, and when a run arrived, they followed him, and in doing so, they saw the coming of the kingdom of God, but the religious people didn't. You can't claim to truly follow God if you do not seek to actively obey him. The second story that we're going to get from him is going to talk about the responses of people who have not bowed to the authority of God. He says, here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard. He put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went to another country. And when the season for fruit, fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. He sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? And they said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let the vineyards to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their season. Now, what Jesus is doing here is he's painting a picture 
using imagery from the prophetic books, right? Israel is depicted in Isaiah as a vineyard that God built with a wall around it. Now in Isaiah, the vineyard doesn't bear fruit. And so God tears down the wall and the wild animals come in and trample it, right? Telling them the message that if you don't produce fruit, then I will remove this protection and you will be punished. But here, he's not talking to the people. Here he's talking to the religious leaders. And so he changes this parable just slightly so that it applies to those that are supposed to be tending the garden. And he says, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, there will be consequences. And so the master comes to them and sends his servants, right? And the servants come and say, hey, I need, I need the, the produce that we, we agreed you were going to get. Like we did this great thing. I built this nice facility for you. And all I need is my like tent. Can I have that? And they kill them. Right? And the idea here is these are obviously the prophets who went to God's people over and over and over again to call them into repentance. And every time they come to call the people into repentance, they're persecuted and they're punished and they're killed by a people who do not respect the authority of the messenger. See, that's the, that's the message here. If you don't respect the authority of the messenger, you don't respect the authority of the one who sends him. Okay, and so Jesus does set this little trap for him, and, and he ties it back into 2 Samuel, right? So in 2 Samuel, David has, has, uh, has looked at Bathsheba, wants to get with her, and so, but he, she has a problem because her she has a husband, so he gets with her anyway. She gets pregnant. Now he has a real problem. And so what he does is he kills her husband and then marries her, right? So problem solved, except God sends a messenger to David. Nathan. Nathan tells him a parable. Nathan says, O king, there is a poor man who has a lamb. And another man, a rich man, wanted the lamb to feed his friends. So he took the only lamb and killed it and ate it. And now this man doesn't have any lamb for milk. He has nothing, no lamb for food or anything. He doesn't have a lamb. And David gets really mad and goes, who is this man? He needs to be punished. He needs to suffer, and he needs to make restitution. And Nathan goes, you're the man. You killed a man and stole his wife. And David is cut to the heart and repents. Right? He changes. He, he turns. He pronounces his own punishment and then turns from his wickedness. But here, these men don't do the same thing. When these men are shown the fact that they are the evil tenants, they don't turn on themselves. They turn on the messenger because they don't respect the authority of the messenger. And so Jesus, in, in one final last insult, he takes a psalm that they have used to describe who they are, Psalm 118, that talks about Israel as this nation, as this rock that, that has been rejected by all the nations, which then becomes the cornerstone that will crush all of the nations around them. This is, the, this is a psalm that Israel would look to that when they were in the midst of crisis and suffering and oppression, they would say, you know, Israel is a stone that's going to crush all of the nations around it. And Jesus says, no, you're not the stone. I'm the stone. And he says, Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scripture the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing that's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people producing its fruit. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces and it will falls on anyone. It will crush him. And Jesus is saying, I am the stone and I will crush 
crush you because you have rejected the messengers that have been sent to you, and I am the son, and you've rejected and killed me. You don't respect the authority of the messenger, and so you don't respect the authority of the one sending the message. This is the, the, the theme here. They have asked him about his authority, and he is telling them, it doesn't matter because you wouldn't respect it if I told it to you. I know you won't respect it because of the way that you answered the first question. I know that you are not here searching for truth. I know that you are looking for a gotcha. You're looking for something that you can use to punish me, something that you can use to throw me into jail, something that you can use to destroy me. And while I may be destroyed, I'm not going to be destroyed on your terms. I'm not going to be destroyed when you want me to be. This is going to happen on my terms because I'm the one that has authority here. Those who reject the authority of God's messenger reject the authority of God and they will ultimately be punished for it. See, as Christians, we have to submit first and foremost to the authority of God. Right? I know we say, oh, well, I'm Christian, I believe in God. That's not what I said. There's lots of people that believe that God exists. Right? Demons believe that God exists. Every demon in the Bible understood who Jesus was and declared his name. What I'm asking you is, do you obey? Do you hear what God says and do you obey his will? Because, look, guys, that's going to be the only resolution that's going to matter at all this year. Right? You can do all kinds of stuff. You can lose 60 pounds. Right? You, can, you can go do CrossFit and get like thrashed and all cut up. You can, you can go and, and get out of debt and do all kinds of amazing things. But if you are not obeying the will of God, everything that you do is, is going to get burned up in the fire. And that's the best case, right? All your hard work, everything you've done will mean nothing at the end of it. See, as people of God, we are the new tenants in the vineyard, right? When, when, Jesus, said, when Jesus said, we're going to take the vineyard away from you and give it to new people, he was talking about us. We're the new people. We're the new tenants, okay? But this isn't, this isn't directed only at Israel. This is directed at us, too. If we don't tend the vineyard, if we don't pay attention to the authority of the one who is sending messengers to us, if we don't pay attention to the will of God, then, then we're the same. Then we're the same, and the outcome is the same. What we do actually matters. Sometimes as Christians, we get this idea that nothing that we do matters anymore. Like, well, I'm under, I'm under grace, brother. I ain't got to do anything. This is great. I got my fire insurance. I can go out and I can trip the life fantastic. Right? But, but that's not how this works. This is why it is so important for us to understand God's will for our life, our church, and our community. We can't know what to do if we don't know what God wants us to do. But thankfully, God is not ambiguous about his will, right? God's not ambiguous. He's not silent. 
He has given us everything that he wants us to know about how we are supposed to live our life. This is why when 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is sufficient for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That's what this means. It means all of this, this is enough. If you just read this and move forward, this has everything that you need in it to live a life that is pleasing to God. That includes accepting Christ, coming to a saving knowledge of Christ so that you're washed in the blood of the Lamb, and then living out all that God and Christ taught us to do. That's what sufficient means. right? So, so often we go through life, we're like, oh, well, I've got the Bible, but let me go read this other stuff. Like, read your Bible, man. Like, there's, this is sufficient. It's sufficient. Oh, what about, you know, what about my, what job I'm supposed to take? Or what, what about, uh, you know, uh, what age I'm supposed to let my kids date or drive or what, you know, what, okay. There are some things that it doesn't spell out exactly in scripture. It doesn't tell you when you're supposed to let your kid date in scripture. Okay. But that's why we have, that's why we have God's community, right? That's why we have prayer. And so, so God tells us, right? He says, you know, all scripture is God breathed and is sufficient for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. But then he also says, do not be conformed any, longer, any longer to the patterns of this dark world, right? But be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Then we will know God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, right? So between the two of these, right, we read scripture, we pray, our mind is transformed. When our mind is transformed, we're able to discern God's will. That's how we know what God has for us, right? We enmesh ourselves we immerse ourselves in scripture. We enmesh ourselves in God, godly, God-centered Christian community so a one man can sharpen another like iron sharpens iron. This is how we identify what God has for us. But, but it's not enough just to know what God has for us, right? That, that, that's what he's saying here. It's not just enough to study scripture. I would love it if every one of you studied scripture every day, and became immensely biblically literate. You're just a, a church full of the biblical answer man. Actually, that's not true. I, I really don't want you to be the Bible answer man because those people get super annoying sometimes. Like one in a church is good. Like we have Joe. Joe is awesome. He's the Bible answer man. He's the only one I need right now, okay? If you have a question, ask Joe. But so often as, as Christians, as, especially as Baptists, we think, well, we'll have another class, right? We'll have another class. We'll get, you, you learn more and you learn more and more. The more you learn, the better it is. And, and while immersing yourself in Scripture is good, obedience to the Word is critical. If you're not obedient to the Word, it's just knowledge, right? And knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. And so we have to allow the truths that we have in Scripture to come out of us as action, right? Because once we've discerned His will, we have to have the courage to actually do His will. If we're going to respect the authority of God then we have to actually be obedient to his will. <coughs> you can't partially submit to the authority of God. Let's be clear with that. You can't partially submit to the authority of God because partial obedience is disobedience. Right? Like, oh, I've got, I, you know, God showed me all this sin in my life. I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to deal with this sin, and I'm going to deal with this sin, and I'm going to deal with this sin. But this sin, this other sin, I'm going to keep it right here because I kind of like it. And I'm going to feed it like one of those annoying lap dogs with little scraps of food off the table. 
And I'm just going to keep it right here because it reminds me of who I used to be. And I used to be pretty cool. And I'm not going to tell anybody about it. And it's going to be my own little private sin. And it's not going to hurt anything because it's just one of them. You can't partially excise sin from your life because that sin will gnaw a hole in your heart and bleed you out. You can't partially follow the will of God. You can't say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to church, but I'm not going to give God control over my employment because that's, that's my thing. I've done, I did that game. Right? I did the whole like, hey, God, why don't you just let me go make a lot of money and I'll give money to the church and that'll be good, right? We'll make a deal. I'll be comfortable and I'll, you know, I'll buy stuff for God's church, right? That doesn't, that's not how it works. You don't get to partially follow God's will. You don't get to partially give up sin. You don't get to partially be obedient to God because partial obedience is disobedience. And you can't, you can't plan on submitting to the authority at some future moment. You can't say like, like uh, St. Augustine has a favorite prayer for this, this famous prayer. He said, oh Lord, give me chastity and oh Lord, give me constancy, but oh Lord, not today. <laughs> delayed, de- delayed obedience is disobedience. Right? You, you may really mean to be obedient, to go, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of this. This is, this is going to, but I got to take care of this other stuff first. Like I'm not at a place where I can, I can handle this sin right now. I, I don't have a, I, I'm not at a place where I can be obedient to God right now. You know, life's really crazy. It's really chaotic. Yeah, guess what? Life is crazy and chaotic. It is always going to be crazy and chaotic. Uh, a lady I heard once who spoke said, we live our lives 10 minutes from normal. It's where I was like, well, if I can just get through this, then it'll be normal. It's never going to be normal. You're always going to be running a thousand miles with your hair on fire, everything burning down around you. It's never going to be in a good place for you to begin to follow God's will. Wow, we don't make enough right now to be able to, to tie because it's just, you know, it's not. But next year, buddy, next year, I'll, man, but whatever happens, you know, your, your pay goes up, your, your needs go up. And it, it always, it's, it's never going to be right. Oh, you know, I. I'm going to be able to start reading my Bible uh, when, after this job is over. The job gets done, and then, uh, then I'm not going to be as stressed, and I'll be able to spend some time in, in, with the Lord. We all know that doesn't happen. I'm going to make a commitment to follow Christ, but I'm just not ready yet. It's just not, it's just not time. I'm, I'm just not there yet. Brother, now is the time. Not tomorrow, because tomorrow may not come. Not next week. Not when you're thirty. I'm gonna have my. I'm gonna have my fun. You know, I'm gonna go have. I'm gonna go earn my testimony, right? No. No. Now is the time. Now is the time to submit to God. Now is the time to submit to the authority of the one who sent His Son to die for you. Now, if you don't know Christ, if you've never made a profession of faith, if you've never accepted him publicly, there's no better time. It's not going to be easier next week. It's not going to be better next week, next month, next year. There will never be a better time to begin a new life with Christ than right now. And if you've accepted Christ, if you're, if you have made a profession, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you profess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, if that's really for you, there's no tomorrow for living in obedience. Christ died for you. He bought you. You belong to him. 
you don't have the option of doing your own thing. So brothers and sisters, as we move forward into this new year, right, as we begin the year fresh, I want you to really think about what your resolutions are going to be. Because if your number one resolution is not to walk with God, you're wasting your time. And you could be endangering your eternity. If you have questions about what that means, if something I've said isn't clear, or you want to know more about it, we're going to have a time of invitation. I would encourage you to come forward and talk to me. If you're embarrassed, come and talk to me afterwards in my office. But whatever you do, you need to make a decision. And you need to make it today. Because if you don't accept the authority of Christ, you can't participate in the salvation of Christ. Let's bow our heads.